3 John, there's only one chapter, so verse 4, it says this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let me read that one more time. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let me pray and let's see what God wants to say this morning. Father, um, anytime we open up your holy word, it is truth. The sum total of it is truth. Um, It's pure, it's holy, it's without error, it is life-giving, all of this for us. And this morning I pray that as we look at some particular truths that you would drive them home in our hearts, that we would be strong and steady in these times that we live in, that we would be um, unshakable, not because we are so strong, but because we by your grace, are standing on unshakable truth. And I pray that we would be those that walk in the truth and would give your heart joy and, and, and then, of course, that our hearts would be filled with joy as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther in his um, song, the only song people know from Martin Luther, I think, is A Mighty Fortress, He says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. About 10 years ago or so, I was like, I have no idea what a bulwark is. It sounds really strong, but I'm not sure I know what that is. You guys know what a bulwark is? A bulwark is like a defensive wall. Um, So around a city or around a fort or around a family, um, on a ship, it would be those, it'd be the walls that go up from the, the platform that's sea level. It would go up and it would protect those inside from falling out or cargo from sliding out or big rogue waves from coming in, at least coming in quite as easily as they would without the bulwark. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a defensive wall. I have a strong desire and burden that we would be strong and steady in really unsteady, shaky, challenging times. When you read throughout the history of the church, Christians walked through incredibly difficult times. I mean, things that we couldn't fathom. And they stood on the rock-solid truth of God's once-for-all delivered word. They stood on the, the promise that is found in Christ. They stood on the gospel. They trusted in Jesus. Psalm 125 says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Then verse two says, as the the hills surround Jerusalem or as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I've heard many people say recently that, that this is as divisive as they have ever seen things in our country. And of course it is. People are angry, they're fearful, they're anxious, they're, they're 
bitter. And and often, quite frankly, I think many people, including Christians, are losing their bearings. There's this verse I, I read last week, and it just really impacted me. It's out of Isaiah chapter 8. It says, do not call conspiracy what others call conspiracy. And don't fear what they fear. But let the Lord be your fear. And let him be your dread. There's so, many th- there, there's so much noise right now, isn't there? So much noise. Constantly. And of course, I don't have my smartphone with me, but you know, we carry it around with us all the time. But there's so much noise and we need to be strong. We need to be strong, and we need to be strong in the truth. Because if we're not strong in the truth, a tsunami of deception and lies will engulf us. And it has. It's engulfed our society, and it will engulf us if we are not strong in the truth. We need to find a solid ground to stand on. We have to. Some of the oldest Christian creeds, or I think of the oldest one, the most ancient one that we know of is the Apostles' Creed. You guys know the Apostles' Creed? And it starts with the two words that are so foundational that we must get into our minds that these are things that we can say, what are the first two words? I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then it goes on to speak of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the church and the gospel and forgiveness of sins and eternal life and so forth. Those two words, I believe. And it goes through things that we believe. This is what we believe. This is what we want to walk in. This is what's true. These are things I will stake my life on. So the Apostle John writes these words, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Not just that they know truth, but that they're walking in the truth. That they know the truth and they're walking in it. And we know that there's a difference between those two things, right? We can know things intellectually at an intellectual level and not walk in it. Jesus said, blessed is the man who hears these words of mine and does them. The one who walks in the words of Christ, the one who walks in the truth. We live in a, in a, in a world where, um, I was thinking this morning, you know that, there's a song from probably the early 80s, which was a little bit before my time, but I heard it enough that I kind of got to know it. Signs, signs, everywhere the signs. You guys know that song? And I, the, the thought can be, lies, lies, everywhere the lies. There's, so, there's lies everywhere. There's so many lies. We're fed lies often from politicians and media and all kinds of other sources. And so we want to be those who are believing, we're believing the truth and we're walking in the truth. And especially in light of these unsteady, unstable, difficult, trying times. When we're being fed lies, We want to walk in the truth. I read a book recently uh, by a guy named Rod Dreher. He wrote a book called The Benedict Option a few years ago. It was okay, I thought. Um, It was okay. The book that recently came out, about two months ago maybe, is called Live Not By Lies. You guys heard heard of that book? 
Um, he's an Eastern, Eastern Orthodox, so you got, obviously there's some thing, difference, differences in some beliefs and so forth. But he, it's basically a book that's talking about uh, living under an increasingly soft totalitarianism. And he says, we need to live not by lies. We need to commit to not living by lies, buying into the lies, and speaking the lies that are being fed to us. That quote was taken from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Russian dissident here to America. We want to live not by lies. And how do we do that? by living by truth, by li living by truth. Earlier this week, I, ju I just started jotting some things down that are true. They are true regardless of how big your 401k is. They're true regardless of who's president. They're true regardless of what the Supreme Court does. They're true regardless of what the legislature does. They can't be voted out of being true. They're true, they're true, they're true. They're true whether your freedoms and my freedoms that we've enjoyed are the same or whether they begin to change and begin to erode or maybe erode more. Um, they are true whether you were ever born or not. They're true whether America was ever a country or not. These things are things we can build our lives on. These things are things we can stand on, we can stake our, our lives on. This is truth we can walk in. And so what I want to do this morning, I don't know if you can tell, but, but I, um, well, anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, what I want to do this morning is I just want to, like the Apostles' Creed, I'm not going to go through the Apostles' Creed, but I want to go through a list of things. These things are true. These are things we can build our lives on. These are things that we can walk in and not live by lies, but live by the truth. Amen. You want, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you a lot of things this morning, all right? Uh, these are things that I've, I've been kind of meditating on, um, and I think that we need them. I think we need to think about these things and be encouraged by them. So, truth. These are things that are true, that we can believe, and so we believe these things first. These are in no particular order. We can believe this. We believe that Jesus Christ is still the Lord of the universe with universal authority. Amen? We believe Jesus is Lord of the universe with absolute universal authority. I was reading in John 19 yesterday and this, this, this verse struck, stood out to me. It's when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate says, listen, I have authority to let you go. Right? Just, just tell me what I want to hear, right? And Jesus says something stunning that we need to get down into our bones. Jesus said, you would have no authority unless it was given to you from above. You think about that. You think about the most powerful people in the world. You think about the, the, the massive administrative state in America or China or whatever. You think about the most powerful people in the world. They have no authority other than what is granted from King Jesus. Amen? We need to know that. 
We believe these things. These things are true. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered his disciples to himself. And he gave them the great commission. But before he told them to go, he told them something so important that they needed to believe and then walk in. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we would grant him authority in heaven, right? Well, of course, in heaven, but on earth too? Like maybe this heavenly ethereal authority somewhere where he's doing something, but in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, therefore, go, make disciples. So Jesus is still Lord with universal authority, absolute authority. Now, Christians from the beginning have been deeply comforted by this. When life really stinks, and gets really hard. I think of each one of the disciples, except for John, that heard Jesus say these words, died a terrible death, <laughs> martyred. Peter crucified upside down by his choice. Um, the others, heads lopped off, tortured. They died gruesome deaths, and they believed, Je- because they heard it from Jesus, because he said, All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. So we believe this. Here's something else we believe. I'm not going to number them, okay? Because I don't know how many I'm going to get through. I might jump around a little bit. We believe this as well. The kingdom of God will continue to advance until every enemy of God is put under the feet of Jesus. We believe the kingdom of God will continue to advance until every enemy is put under the feet of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says this about Jesus. If you remember, 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus and subsequently our resurrection with him. But in there, it says Jesus is at the Father's right hand now. And it says this, he's not just chilling. He's not just taking a nap. He's not just relaxing. It says this, he must reign until every enemy is put under his foot, feet. Until all of God's enemies are put under his feet. Jesus Christ right now reigns. He is our king and he reigns and he reigns until All of God's enemies are put under his feet. And that is great news. Isaiah 9-7. This is a Christmas passage. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now, here's something that's really amazing as well. Paul wrote to to the Roman Christians. In the book of Romans, these are Christians living in Rome while Nero is the emperor, okay? So not a nice guy. And Paul wrote to them in ver- chapter 16, verse 20, he says, for the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So this reign of Christ, this rule of Christ, this extension of his government and of peace without end is in and through his people. Extending the kingdom, being kingdom men and women. Now, you might say to yourself, listen, 
That sounds good. I, I realize that's in the Bible, but I look around and I say, no way. The kingdom of God is not advancing, not now. Darkness is only advancing right now. I remember reading somewhere, someone say something like, I don't know if I'll get this exactly right. The kingdom of God advances, or excuse me, proceeds from triumph to triumph, each time cleverly disguised as defeat. The kingdom of God advances or proceeds from triumph to triumph, victory to victory, each time cleverly disguised as defeat. You think of Jesus on the cross, Jesus standing before Pilate saying, my kingdom's not of this world. If my, if my kingdom were of this world, my men would take up guns and swords and they would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world. He was going to the cross. Why? To die and advance his kingdom. And that was God's plan. We believe this. We believe this. We also believe this. God will accomplish all his good and wise purposes. Psalm 33 Verse 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that have not yet been done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God will accomplish all his good and wise purposes. Here's something else we believe. Jesus will continue to build his church unimpeded. He'll continue to build this church. He'll continue to build his church unimpeded. I love the words of Christ. I love the words of Christ when he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, death itself shall not prevail against it. That's truth we can stand on. That's truth we can stand on. That, that the church will continue to be built by the Lord Jesus Christ, even with all the onslaughts. Think again of those words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing. God will not fail. Jesus will not fail to build his church. Here's something else we believe. Here's something else we can stand on. Here's something else we can walk in. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Isn't that, isn't that good news? I was talking with someone the other day. I was, I was together with, with somebody a couple weeks ago praying. And, you know, our prayers were kind of going a certain direction. And, and my friend, who I love dearly, deeply encouraged me. He's, he's deeply encouraged me over the years, no doubt, for the last 15 years or so that I've known him. But he just seemed to be discouraged with messages that are coming from the culture and society and all of that. And it just struck me. Oh my goodness. We serve the God who spoke the universe into existence with words. And we have his gospel, which is the power of God. 
Think about what it did in your life. The gospel brought you from death to life. It raised you from being a dead person and made you alive in Christ. And it has the power to do that. We have a message. I've been deeply distressed. I'm just going to, okay, I'm just going to share my heart with you. I've been deeply distressed, but I think two opposite and I think false gospels that I think has invaded the church. One is what I would call just the social justice gospel, all right? And of course, we, we're all about justice. We want justice. God is a just God, no doubt. But the way that people divide everyone up into groups and races and all of this stuff and diminishes the work of Christ that brings down the walls that divide us. It's, it's another gospel. It's not the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. And the other false message, I think, is MAGA, make America great again. That is not the Christian gospel. I heard about, a, actually I saw a picture of it, but apparently they're flying all over the place in Washington last week. A flag with a picture of Jesus and a MAGA hat on. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Please, Lord, forgive us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's the power of God unto salvation. For all who believe, we believe this. We also believe this, that Jesus is the judge of all the earth and that no injustice will ultimately go unpunished. Acts 17.31 God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God is just. All the things, all the deeds done in darkness, all the injustices in the past, in the present, in the future, Jesus will deal with exhaustively. Without question, without a doubt. We believe this, don't we? One of the reasons why um, we seek to remedy injustice with more injustice, if you know what I mean, we want to we try to right past wrongs by doing something wrong now is because we don't believe this. We don't believe that, there's cosmic, that there will be cosmic justice in the end. Christians have always believed this. And we need to stand on this. There will be justice. God is just. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. We believe that. Here's something else we believe. God will work all things for the good of those who love him. Even the worst that evil men mean for our harm. Even the worst that people mean for our harm. Of course, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. I love how Paul says, and we know this. We know this. We believe this, don't we? That no matter what happens in life, God is at work in his infinite wisdom and goodness and power working it together for our good. Joseph, right? Um, when we think we got it bad, I mean, there's stories in the Bible that just really help us put things in perspective. The story of Joseph is one of those stories. You know, he was, his brothers didn't like him, so they threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, went down to Egypt, was there for years. He was lied against. He was put, put, put in jail, was raised up, then put back in jail. I mean, all this was horrible, and it started with his brothers, You know the story, right? His brothers end up coming to Egypt because there's a famine and they need help. And Joseph reveals himself to them and his brother's like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, my brother that we screwed over, he's really powerful now. <laughs> um, and Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And here, it's not just that God was able to somehow turn the evil in a good direction. It's that they had an evil intent and God had a good intent through their evil intent for his glory to, and then, and then of course he said, and this is, Joseph's a type of Christ, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save many lives. So we believe God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even the worst that evil people would do. We believe that. Here's something else we believe, that God is, of course you can see there's overlap in a lot of these, God is for us. God is for us. God is for you, and if he is for you, then who can be against you? Uh, but I want to read just a couple verses before that verse that we know so well. Here's what Paul says. It's in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse, well, let me just start in verse 28. And we know, I just said this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen to this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Some, some theologians have called this the golden chain of redemption. If he foreknew you, he predestined you, he called you in time when, when you believed in Jesus, then he justified you when you believed in Christ and, and he, well, Paul says he, you, you're glorified because it's just a done deal. And then he says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God foreknew us before the foundation of the world and predestined us and then called us and then when we believed in Christ, he justified us. He says, you are not guilty anymore. And if he's gonna keep us to the end and glorify us, if he's for us, if he's for us, who can be against us? Of course, Paul doesn't mean that people won't be against us. It just, 
They can't win. All they can do is serve God's purposes for our good, right? Because God works all things together for good. If God is for us, who can be against us? We believe that. Here's something else we believe. If you belong to Christ, nothing can separate you from his love, ever. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, just general trials, distress, like pressures, persecution, hostility from others, famine, like not, not having food to eat, nakedness, right, exposure, danger, sword, even death? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything else, in all of creation, anything in creation, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We believe this. We also believe this. Christians believe this. I hope you believe this. Our, your mo- most important citizenship is not America, but heaven. Your most important citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, of Philippians 3.20. Uh, I got a book, I just got it. I've read parts of it, but I never had it, so I bought it. The City of God by uh, St. Augustine. Um, it's like one of those books you read like a page a day or something for two years, you know, because it's pretty tough sledding. But it's a book that uh, Augustine wrote while Rome was being sacked by the Visigoths in, in AD 410. Uh, the Visigoths, these, these, this barbaric group of people, came and took over Rome, and he re- wrote the book while Rome was being overrun by the Visigoths. And in, in, in Augustine's mind, Rome was representative of the city of man. It was the city of man. There was, I mean, Rome was, in its glory was, right, it was the It was the empire of empires, but it was just a city of man. He said, it's a city of man run by slaves to their own passions. But as Christians, we belong, we went through this in Hebrews as well, to the city of God, to the city of God. And he says something fascinating in this one portion of the book. He says, if you are, if you belong to Christ, I'm putting it in a little different language, if you belong to Christ, even though you might be a slave, humanly speaking, you are free. And a king who has great power here on earth, if he does not belong to Christ, he is a slave. But he is a worse slave because he's not a slave of one man. But he is a slave of as many vices as he has. You and I belong to the city of God. We belong to the celestial city, to the eternal city where Christ is. And we await him when he comes. We believe that. Here's something else we believe. As long as we're here, we have a mission, which is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a mission. The mission is not 
the American dream, to achieve that. The mission is, is not to make as much money as we can. The mission is not to live as comfortable a life as we can. The mission is not any of those things. The mission is to make disciples of Jesus. Disciplined followers of Christ. Those who are willing and ready to follow Jesus. Those who, as John said in 3 John verse 4, those who walk in the truth. Not just believe certain things, but walk in the truth. Jesus said, all authority is mine, therefore go make disciples of all nations, all ethnoi or ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So a, a disciple, someone who's baptized in the triune name of God, the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit, and learning obedience to Christ. That's what we're called to do. We believe that. Along with that, we believe this, that you and I, we believe that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors sent. I, like, I love this picture because it's, it's almost like, you know, Rome had these colonies in different places. I guess America kind of does too. Yikes. But anyways, kind of these colonies in different places, outposts of the empire. It's like the church, wherever we're gathered, we are outposts of the kingdom of God. And we are ambassadors from God. Sent to appeal to people to be reconciled to the God who made them. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What a high calling. What a high calling to be sent from God into this world to be his ambassadors. And what more does the world need than true ambassadors for Christ right now? I think of something else that Augustine said. He said one time that, he said something like, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. So we go from one, th- one vice, one sin to another, trying to, trying to satisfy our hearts. So we go, we want we to, we struggle with, we go toward greed, right? And we try to do that. That doesn't satisfy, so sex or power or this or that or whatever it is. And our hearts are restless until we find rest in the God who made us. We get to tell people that. We have to tell people that. I mean, the amazing thing is that all the turmoil you see around us, many of them, many of them just, they don't know the God who made them. Well, most of them don't know the God who made them. And we are ambassadors for Christ. God, or, uh, God making his appeal through us, or Christ making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. And finally, we believe this, that God's truth abides 
forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, you and I are going to die, everything we own is going to rust or be eaten by moths or whatever. But the word of our God will stand forever. The things that God says stand forever. The American Constitution will, whatever, it'll go away. The word of the Lord stands forever. And when we believe these things, it helps us to engage with what's going on in our society right now because we have to do that. We must. We want to be faithful Christians, right? We want to walk in the truth. But it helps us to engage in these things like a Christian and not like someone who doesn't believe in God. Angry and bitter like everyone else. We believe these things. We believe these things? These are things we believe. Christ is universal Lord with absolute authority. The kingdom of God is advancing and will continue to do so. God will accomplish all his good and wise purposes. Jesus is and will build his church unimpeded. The gospel is the power of God. That's the power. You want to see the power of God? The gospel is the power of God. Jesus is the judge of all the earth and he is a righteous and good judge. God is for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. You have a mission to complete to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, not just you, we. We are ambassadors for Christ. And all of these things and all the rest that God says, we could go on and on and on of things that we believe. All that God says will abide forever. Right? It will outlast you and I. It will outlast, right? Amen.